Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we celebrate the triumphs of people who have overcome their own life's challenges and made our world better. People who have taken life's lemons and made lemonade. I am Heidi, your host. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to the Lemonade Stand. We are with Heather today. Hi, Heather. Tell me three things about yourself. All right. I am a huge sponge when it comes to learning. I love everything from like Malcolm Gladwell to how do you organize your kitchen pantry. It never like provokes envy in me. It's like a shiny, beautiful thing. I'm like, ooh, what's that? How do you do it? Show me. Um, Love to learn. Any area. I am a humongous gym rat who's just been riding the bench for the last seven years. But when I am healthy enough to go, my whole heart is just so happy to be there. And I only have fight in the fight or flight reaction. If you startle or scare me, I will punch you. I will break your nose. I will bloody it. I will knock you down. It is so embarrassing. And when my kids were like preteens, they thought it was hysterical. They spent a lot of time trying to jump scare me so that I would hit them. <laughs> oh my goodness. We maybe not do that. Yeah. But yeah, don't Good ever, warning. Don't ever scare me. Okay. Thanks for that warning. I'm so glad to know that. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that your kids have to play with you with that. That's awesome. Take us back and tell us about your lemon. What is your experience? Well, the lemon request was fun for me because... I've had a lot of hard things for a long time in my life, but they weren't lemons yet. They were difficult. They were kind of top tier trauma things for um, what the experience actually was, but I navigated them pretty easily, kind of absorbed them, grieved them, moved along. So for me, I kept thinking about what did I want to talk about? And we have just had maybe, I don't know, 18 straight years of trauma. Pick a category short of the death of a child, and I'm sure we'll tick a box. Um, We've had uh, the whole gamut from death of parents to um, a stalking so bad I had to move across country to homelessness in relatives that were dear to our heart to um, multiple job loss, layoffs, things like that. Just... And in any one of those is bad enough to be somebody's lemon. So I was telling you before we began, I, I, the lemon I know I have to talk about, I'm so tired of talking about because it has absorbed almost a decade of my life. But I have gone through a, just a complete loss of health and have battled forward through that. And it's interesting because I'm in the middle of that story still. It's not over. I, I'm going to just hope I'm like three quarters of the way there, but I've definitely turned a corner and it's getting to where I can see some, um, clarity and the ability to be on the other side of it, but I'm not there yet. So this is, it's a really interesting time for me to be doing this and it'll be a little time capsule for me because it's 2020. This has been the best year I have had in 10 years. The happiest, the most cup filling, and it is crazy to have that against what has been going on in the world. And for so many people to be drowning in severe trauma and fear and uncertainty and grief and the the atmosphere in the world is not conducive. And I'm over here all by myself, just like for 10 years, I was by myself being sick while the world spun on without me and just having a great time. <laughs> so that one is odd. And now the rest of the world is catching up to what you've been experiencing for 10 years. And I'm sure that is not a novel concept. There are so many people suffering in silence. What is unique is that the whole world feels like it's in that boat right now. And I'm not. I'm like, come on, like, it's okay. We'll... We'll get to the other side, it'll be fine. And it's interesting in my children too, because unfortunately our lives have been so collapsed and so horrible and hard that this year's hardly making a dent on them too. They're just kind of like, whatever, it will be fine. It's gonna be okay. And they're really stable friends for their friends right now. And they're calming um, sources 
for the people that they interact with, which is, again, a weird blessing to pull out of our trial. Um, I'm also right in the middle of a couple months of just severe burnout. I am a really disciplined person, and I am just over it. I'm over all of the things on my list that I have to do to stay alive. I'm just sick of it. <laughs> and so it's funny to be doing this right now when that's kind of the headspace I'm in, and I'm just letting it happen. My soul's just having a great big tantrum, and I think because I am physically doing better, like now my heart wants to just tap out. It's like, we're done. We want this to be finished, and it's not yet. It's bearable, and it's better, and I can thrive in it, but it's not done. So I am in tremendous burnout right now. And I don't like how it feels. I like when I feel clicked in and, and like I'm pushing against the bike pedals. Um, that's my jam. I don't care how hard it is or how big the hill is, which is how I ended up in endurance sports. <laughs> I just have a personality for that. So this is not fun for me. I don't, I don't like the burnout, but I'm right in the middle of that. And then I've never had an experience in my life that my life will always now be in two sections, the before and the after. And I don't think that's uncommon either. That could be the death of a spouse to someone. That could be, um, you know, a physical trauma that you go through with um, an assault or, you know, a robbery or something traumatic that direction. I, I don't think the concept of your life being a before and after is that unique, but I've never had it. So I know, I know with all my heart that will be true. There will always be the life before and the life that comes after, but I'm not to the after yet. So I'm not... I'm not telling this um, from the perspective of the other side, but I am definitely in a place where it's bearable and it's doable. And then, so it's all good. Like we can just finish it up, finish strong, right? I, I used to have a friend that um, I got to wait, teach her how to wait train. And she was so funny at the very end of a gym session. She wanted to like badge of honor drag out of the gym complaining and limping and I would always tease her I'm like you save that for the car I'm like you hold me like you've got to prance out of here you've got to like go out strong at this gym door so that you're like you need to finish it to me that is just part of something that's hard is um get to the car <laughs> before you decide how bad that gym session just wiped you out I'm, and that's just me. And it was fun to poke oh, her. great Maybe, advice. Well, yeah. but it wasn't her, which is what made it fun. Right. <laughs> uh, and there's nothing wrong with either way. But I'm a finished strong person, so the headspace is tough for me. It's kind of hard to quantify when it began, when I began to get sick, because so many of the initial symptoms were so mild, they were so easy to dismiss. So I can go back as far as like 1998, and maybe I'm right, maybe I'm not, maybe it was bubbling then. It really started to feel off when my last child was about 18 months old. And I, you know, it was so easy to rationalize it. It's like, oh, well, I've been pregnant or nursing forever. And now I'm not, my body's trying to balance and all of these things. And I just couldn't quite get going. And then I would, I would kind of slow down my energy output. I would back off my training at the gym or I would back off commitments or whatever it was and rest a little bit sort of just instinctive but I, I kept trying to get up and ramp up again get back up to my normal and that went on for off and on for months and months it was driving me crazy so I finally went and made an appointment at like one of the top thyroid doctors here where we live very respected whatever and he completely dismissed me wouldn't even take my blood he took one look at me and at the time I was very small and very petite and very in shape and he really was like if I get one more sort of swim tennis foofy shallow mom in here trying to get thyroid medicine to lose five pounds I'm gonna scream I mean it's pretty much what he said to me and I was like what are you even talking about and he shoved me out the door wouldn't take my blood didn't check my thyroid levels um, and I'd never been unhealthy in my life and I didn't understand what had just happened and I just sort of internalized it and was like well I guess there must not be anything wrong with me which is very common in one of my first lessons <laughs> and I struggled for another couple of years and there's you know if you want to go and attend the bitter ball I could think about how much of my life that man cost me but 
I didn't know how to advocate for myself. I didn't, I mean, I was actually asking the right questions, but I didn't have enough um, experience yet to have pushed back or gone somewhere else. And it was so mild at the time that it wasn't like I was ignoring the screaming symptoms. I just fell off and I didn't feel like myself and whatever. So it kind of lifted and I would, I would do okay. And this went on for maybe three, four more years. I was up and down, doing great for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's not feeling great again. And, but it was always so mild. And during all of that time, there were normal life stress, just normal things, hard things, um, nothing to spike the radar. So then we went into a year where my husband was a realtor at the time, was showing a vacant home back when all of them were vacant. He got attacked by someone that was doing drugs in the empty home. When he opened the front door, somebody was just already hitting him in the head with a two by four. And he was a police officer when we lived on the other side of the country. And he's like, that training is the only reason he got away from this guy. The guy fractured his skull, cracked his ribs, bit him. That was scary. We had to go through the testing. He had bite marks everywhere and scratches. And he was um, passing out from being hit in the head and got the guy off of him. And, and my husband's a big guy, 6'5". Finally got a hold of this. He was like on his back, grabbed him by the back of the neck, and he threw him. And it was a uh, split level. And he heard him hit the other side of the house. Like he threw him all the way through the house when he finally got his hands on him. And then he did this, well, you don't want to say smart thing, because when you're in fight or flight, your brain is nuts. But he, he did this, he was able to do the thing that was the safest and just take a step out, shut the door to the house, get back in the car, call the police, and then he passed out in the front seat until they got there. So he had that happen. And then a month later, he had a kidney stone issue that he almost died in surgery. So he's now had back-to-back near-death experiences in 40 days. So then four weeks after that, it was on my 20-year plan. My kids were old enough now to go back to school. And I wanted to get my commercial um, interior design degree to do hotel design, which is my love. I grew up in Florida. I grew up in Orlando. Grew up working on the pool decks at all these resorts and just have always loved hotels. So then we kind of questioned maybe like because of what had just happened to him in June and July, maybe I shouldn't start school in August. And he's like, no, it'll be fine, right? Because you don't think you're at the beginning of a 10-year nightmare. You just think you've had a bad couple of weeks. So I went to school. So school starts ramping up. Um, I did a condensed program, a four-year and two-year thing. So it was a lot. And then I got asked to work on a set design for a church production for our church and it was intense. It was supposed to be like 10 days. It turned into a month. And then I, I declined to do the second phase. It was incredible. But now all of a sudden, I'm kind of going at this pace that I'm not usually at. And then shortly after that, my husband lost a parent to complications of a surgery and an extremely intense 60 days in the ICU. Um, I don't want to go into that one too, too much. But it, it wasn't like... The family member was alert and awake and hanging out and declined. It was like every day they're going to die, every day some kind of crazy surgery, every day it was intense. And so by the time we got to the end of that, we had one child that had left on a mission right before this began. We had a second that was leaving. So we kind of get to the one-year point from when my husband was attacked showing the home. And it had just been this type of year. And that's when I really started to feel it. And I'm like, well, duh, it's been six months since this relative passed away. Um, and they were one of those where they take your heart with you and you don't ever get that piece back. It was not an insignificant passing away in my life, much less, you know, in my family, extended family. I'm just thinking I'm grieving. I'm like, it's been six months. Everybody's kind of calmed down as much as you can possibly be in that grief fog. And it's just my turn. Like... I've got my second son leaving. That's hard. It's always hard when your kids move away for whatever reason. And that's what I attributed it to. I didn't quite pay attention to how much I was slowing down. And the reason I really want to emphasize how few symptoms I had is because of everything that comes next. Um, it got to be January. That's when you ramp up for triathlon season. You spend January through March 
burning 10,000 calories a week and, you know, doing your weightlifting and your cardio and your brick training and all the things. And I was just pushing into that and I was dying and I'm like, something is not right. So I started going to see my general physician, who is the type everyone should have. He is whole life minded, meaning if you go in there and you're like, I don't feel good. It is like having this warm hug interview with just the person that is just kind and and your safe space. And he's like, how's your stress? You know, how's your diet? How are you sleeping? And, you know, you don't get that anymore. And he knew me enough to know I did not look like me. I didn't sound like me. I wasn't feeling like me. And he kept taking my blood and my blood was fine. And he kept taking it and it was fine. And this went on for like a year. Every couple months I'd go back in there so frustrated. I'm like, something is wrong. But there was no evidence of it. And I was just tired. And that was getting really annoying (laughs) and difficult. And I had dropped everything by this point. I was barely making it through school. I was doing hardly anything. I would come home and I would just go to sleep. And it was not depression which is very real and needs very real. It was physical fatigue and I never understood that word before. Um, I've been tired, you know, like when you're trying to get back to your car at the end of Disney, that's tired, (laughs) that's exhaustion. Fatigue is a whole nother animal. And then here I am like an endurance athlete. So the last time I went to see him, I was crying. I was so frustrated and so scared. And he's like, let me check and see if you have mono, which I had never had. Even though it's very common, we all carry the Epstein-Barr virus, almost all of us carry it. But to have an active infection, you know if you've ever had an active Epstein-Barr. And he checked, and that saved my life because I had the antibodies. So the whole time I'd been ramping up for triathlon season, the whole first four months of that year, I had mono. And it's almost embarrassing to say because it makes you sound like an idiot. Like, how in the world can you have mono? And it was not mind over matter. It just... There was enough things to blame it on. And so that is like, I guess my point is there was just nothing as dramatic as what was actually happening under the surface. And then by the time we sort of discovered where I was at, it had been a year of you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, meaning my labs, not him. He was very compassionate. It's you're dying. We need to do an emergency hysterectomy. You need to go to the hospital. You need a blood transfusion. If you don't quit your life right now and go to bed, you're going to die. Um, it like escalated that fast and it was scary and confusing and I'm like the type of person that if my gut instinct says what you're saying is what I should do if it's information that I'm going to act on I'm an all-in person I don't tote it I don't wade Um, I will take the time to evaluate and debate it but I'm very decisive and once I decide that's it that's what I'm doing until there's a new course correction So I quit my life. I had nine credits left to graduate from college. I was working on a parade of homes with a local design studio. Um, I still had five kids at home. I had races (laughs) that I had paid to do. And I went to bed like that day. And I slept for almost 72 hours. And I learned a lot from that particular moment about some of the common mantras that I think are toxically and dangerously incomplete, such as mind over matter and just push through. I I have gained a more well-rounded idea of where those are healthy and where those are you not listening to symptoms that need attention. And I up to that point, I don't think I had done it. I don't think I had pushed past a barrier that felt like, hey, idiot, flashing lights, stop moving. It, that, that is one of the things that was very difficult for me to reconcile how sick I actually was at this point. So my first doctor <laughs> almost killed me. And I learned a lot from that. I learned um, how I have handled the rest of my health and will for the rest of my life. But Their approach was pretty conventional. If your labs say you're super low in B12, we're going to pump you full of B12. If your labs say that you're so anemic, you have no iron, we're going to jack you full of iron. 
And there was no understanding of metabolic dysfunction and epigenetics and things. It's just everything layers. And if you push on one thing, like the gas pedal in your car, but you've got the emergency brake on, that's a problem. If your car clearly needs windshield wipers, that does nothing for the tire tread. And a lot of medicine just doesn't look at what is your body doing today? What's it capable of handling? Where can we push it that will be healing versus compounding? And there isn't a lot of conversation, um, unless you go find it, of root causes. There's a lot of masking of symptoms and not a lot of root causes. So her almost killing me is why I'm going to be healed and why I'm, I'm pretty much healing and am at the kind of the tail end of this. Um, coupled with the fact that I was just blessed to have not totally tipped into a chronic disease. I circled the drain on quite a few of them, but I never quite tipped over and that wasn't anything I did. That was just timing and luck. Um, but it was, it was crazy. So she's, uh, this first doctor starts working with me and I do everything and blah, blah, blah. And I had a rough six or eight months. And I understand now that their approach is very conventional and common. It just triggered, it made everything worse. It inflamed everything um, that was going on. And that's another moment that is very difficult to look back on and think I probably could have done this for six or nine months in the right hands and had the last seven years of my life back. Um, because so little of what I feel I have had to heal from now, I think was an original problem. And I think there's just, it's not a unique outcome to trauma or hard things that if you don't get set on the correct path of healing it's hard it, it will compound and get worse and it's just taught me that we need to be really careful to advocate for ourselves which is impossible to do when you're vulnerable so then you go back to roots of your character and the groundwork maybe you laid when things were calmer but i have an extremely strong personality I always have. No one talks me into anything. I don't, I don't do it that way. Um, and having a really strong personality has been a huge blessing for me. It has kept me safe in a lot of ways. But like my husband's strengths are the polar opposite on the spectrum. And I have needed those strengths every single day of this to survive. So one is not better than the other. And society kind of likes some better than others. But, you know, I'm a fighter. I'm a warrior type of both, obviously. You scare me, I'm going to punch you in the face. That kind of, that is just me. But that's not how diplomacy and peace talks work. You know, that's not how, um, it's just not the only strength that matters in a situation. So I, I'm going to talk about it a little bit, but I always feel like you have to kind of temper that with if you've got a different strength and it feels more soft or less assertive or whatever, that doesn't make it not the best strength for your trial. And I have had to mooch those off of my husband. They have been my oxygen while I'm fighting. If I didn't have the counterbalance, it would have been just more painful. So I start with this doctor and she jacks me up and, and I almost died the night of my third son's high school graduation, missed his graduation. Um, it was terrifying. And then I, I didn't wake up, but I start remembering about two days later, once they finally banana bagged me and got my body to stop what it was doing. And then all of a sudden after that, um, I got better real fast and that only lasted about 12 weeks. I started to feel better. I started to do better and everyone started to celebrate, including me. We're done. We made it. We're over. Yay. You know, you got there and I went up and up and up and up. And then I got to the end of the summer. Something about August hates me. 
because it just seems to be that's where the cliff cliffs live in August in my life I guess um I thought I was sick before <laughs> and then I got to that August it had been like 10-12 weeks and I went all the way off the cliff and this is where it got really frightening like really frightening because um there was no explanation for it and I was doing all the things and I had done all the things with near perfect discipline and we, my, my blood levels were all up. So why wasn't I better? So I go off this cliff and the doctor I'm working with starts to have no other sentence except just do what I say longer. And I put up with that for about one blood draw. And then I was like, yeah, no there needs to be something different. This is not working. I don't know what's going on. But the one thing she did do when I went off the cliff was test some of my genetics. And she tested specifically ones that are inside a methylation cycle, which we all have. But she only tested one and there's about 30-ish that they recognize as a closed system now. I mean, medicine's always expanding, but... And I had a double mutation on that one gene. And she knew enough to test me for it. She knew it was bad, but she didn't know what to do. So now I had no doctor and my kidneys and my liver are like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> They're just like piecing out. They're shutting down. It was so bad. And I had to start researching, which is not something I've ever done. I'm not that type of personality as much as I love to learn. I'd never been in a circumstance where I felt that I needed to go that direction for myself and I didn't know how to do it and I didn't know where to look and the internet is a tin foil hat of craziness it will terrify you it will confuse you there's so many conflicting voices and there is no rational way to navigate it and then all of a sudden I'm in that space looking for the rational voice and it's very hard to find and it was it was very frightening and I can never, ever explain how I found the doctor that I began to work with. She had a research protocol that focused on methylation. That is like her thing. That was a phenomenal experience. Um, I was very sick for a long time. And she like pulled the brakes so that I didn't die, <laughs> basically. And, and a lot of things improved. So I did that for a couple of years, but I still had a bedridden quality of life. And that um, is tough. It's a tough gig. It depends, I think, on how, how bedridden you are. I needed help to go across the hall to the bathroom. I didn't cook, I didn't clean, I, didn't, I just laid there for five years. I had a, a, a wonderful network of friends that I did nothing but withdraw from. I didn't have much capacity to feed from my side like you should and um, nobody dropped me because of it and it, it was incredible. And that's a, that's a funny thing about my story is when the way we ended up in this neighborhood, it was like God knew the storm was coming and he moved me to a safe harbor to be in. He didn't take away what was happening, but the way that we ended up where we were, he put me in a safe place to struggle, a place where I would be protected, but the child was not removed. And the way we got there would be a bitter pill to a lot of people. We had to move. We were the victims of some financial betrayal by someone in a special position of trust and our home was not ours <laughs> and we had to move and we were it was right when the housing market crashed and a lot of people's underbellies were exposed and we got swept up in that we were victims of it um it was a blessing because our house value had dropped a couple hundred thousand dollars in a few months and we were able to walk away from it but it didn't change the fact that that it wasn't an option. So there was kind of like the first point. But then my favorite thing about the magic of the neighborhood we ended up in and the protection that it has given my family and myself is that the person that recommended we look at the home we're in, 
did it from a position of to be a mean girl. When they recommended, they're like, you know where you should look. We would never choose to live there, but you, how cute, you should go and look. And and I I knew I knew this person enough to know that that recommendation was coming from a snarky, mean-spirited, condescending place. And I could have just dismissed it right there, but I'm like, whatever, I'm gonna go look, I'm gonna go check it out. And when I came to see the house, the people that were living in it were moving like right then. So every single room was floor to ceiling boxes and furniture and people, and it was just kind of chaos. And I don't think I really could like even step into the house. Um, It's not their fault, they're moving, whatever. But the minute I walked in, I got the most overwhelming feeling that that is where I was supposed to be. And I love that I ended up there because someone else was trying to be mean. And yet it was the biggest blessing of my life. And it is just such a lesson that sometimes I think God just laughs up there. And he's like, you know what I'm going to do with this. But then when I was also checking the house out, there was a, a neighbor, very warm, outgoing, open person. But I was not in the mood. We had just had our house embezzled from us. I was like, people suck. I don't. And he was like up in my grill. And I'm like, okay, random stranger, back up. But that person has become probably second to my husband who I trust my family with when we're vulnerable. And there's just so many little things in there where you could take first impressions and be done with it, um, where you could let the intentions of someone else rob you of some of the best blessings of your life. And I just, I don't know. So I, I love that. So the neighborhood that we're in is just, it's just a magic safe space. And as I'm going through this with my second doctor, um, it was, it was very dark for a long, long time. So at the, at the time my body was producing so much adrenaline, like all the time, couldn't turn it off. I was in a constant literal state of fight or flight. Um, I exhibited all the symptoms of PTSD, but I did not have PTSD. And it is the closest thing to hell I can imagine. Like, I joke all the time that if hell's not at least half that bad, like I want my money back for always trying to be a good person. It was horrid. And I have so much compassion now for what um, it feels like for people in that space. But I also have some knowledge of ways to sort of heal and navigate your biochemistry to where that outward expression comes way down and you just you don't have to feel every single second of it like uh insulin doesn't cure diabetes but you don't have to feel all your diabetes symptoms all day long can't do whatever you want either but you don't have to be like suffering um so then there was a there was a point where i i've only had two steps up in health since i went off the cliff in seven six years almost six years and the first one was right before my husband's um, had to have a surgery on his nose and it had been broken a couple times and was like super blocked and he was breathing through a coffee straw and at this point and just, you know, a little thing. And I just didn't want to be a burden. Um, what he had seen me go through was so frightening and vague and confusing and... Um, just serious all of the time without being bad enough that it was able to be turned over to someone else. So like I didn't spend months and months and months in the hospital where that's a different sort of stress, but someone else is in charge and somebody else is calling the shots and you can go home and take a break from it. And like it never got that bad. So it was just all the time ball in our court and just tough for him and and this guy didn't even come up for air from a loss of a parent before he lost his wife but then I'm still there but then the threat of me not being there is constant like you know he's four or five years into this and just exhausted so he's having this little routine surgery on, on his nose and and I just did not want to be a burden I, I wanted him to be able to just be about himself and what he needed to do right then. I didn't want to be a distraction in the waiting room. I didn't want to be an obstacle during his recovery. And, you know, we had 
gathered our adult children and kind of put a system in place so that, I mean, I didn't think I was going to have the blessing that I got that night come. So we had it laid out so that it would work. We set ourselves up to succeed. And there was something about that night and there was something about saying the same exact prayers for the same exact things I'd said for all the same years. And it was just time for it to kick in. And I just took a big step forward. And it was mostly in that adrenaline overproduction, my mind, everything just calmed down. And then I was like, I could do this all day long. And after that, I had another year and a half until I started working with who I'm working with now. And I got to a point where like the methylation specialist I was working with, like my system was flowing, but I have learned so much just about metabolic dysfunction. And I think about it like a hurricane. We got the hurricane to go. It had passed, but it never doesn't leave disaster in its wake. And your body just cannot reboot without deliberate help. Like if you have to untangle a necklace, um, it takes a minute and you have to go in the direction the knot formed and you have to pull this piece first. And sometimes you have to pull it and loosen it and lay it on the table and let it relax a little bit so you can see where you're going. And just for a lot of people, you can make some lifestyle changes, some health changes. I was two and a half decades into always having had healthy habits and exercise and good food and rest and meditation and yoga. Like I had checked all the boxes. I had a personality that handled stress incredibly well and I was happy. I had a happy life. Um, I was sad when it was time and then I was on with it. I, I checked those boxes. Um, I had a good support system, interests outside myself. Like, I don't know, all the things that we kind of try to explain as being root causes. I'm banging my head on that door. I'm like, but I do that, but I do that, but I do that. And then when I first got sick, I went to weekly trauma therapy for three years. Um, because nobody knows how to handle that until you know. We have a saying with our kids when they get frustrated, we're like, why would you be good at that? You've never done it before. Like, be patient with yourself. You'll get better at it. But out the jump, why would you be? And why would you expect yourself to be? So I, I had just done all the things. And when my mind just kind of got calm, my body got calm, it was because I stopped overproducing adrenaline. And I kind of coasted in that for about 18 months. Then I started working with who I'm with now. And I am taking giant step forwards now because we're addressing metabolic dysfunction. And it's ironic because my immunity markers are off the chart. We're in the middle of a pandemic and I have enough immunity after seven, eight years to come back out into the world is the funniest thing to me. It's just ironic funny. Um, but it is a it is a challenging thing to untangle your body. And my my doctor says I am the most com one of the most complex cases she's ever seen. And I'm like, I don't feel like it. <laughs> like I'm not trying to be that dramatic. But I just the lesson seems to be over and over again that it is complicated and deliberate to heal. And that being strong and driven and confident in yourself and decisive, that's great. It's not a solution. It, you can partner that personality with a solution or you can partner a compassionate, soft-spoken, empathetic personality with that solution. You can partner a doomsday or, you know, afraid of your shadow with that and you will get to healing. I just have to do the deliberate path and it is so complex and it's layer by layer and you cannot hurry it you can't rush it and I I know a lot of people approach challenges with those two mindsets I talked about earlier mind over matter if you just you just need to have the right mindset well your mindset only works if your biochemistry will support it and that is a fact. And if there is someone in your life that you think just needs to suck it up, they don't. They may also need to suck it up, but there is a root cause out there that is easy 
but complicated to untangle. And you need to maybe switch your focus from just mind over matter. If I just have a good attitude about it, no, while I have a good attitude about it or when my biochemistry will let me have a good attitude about it, then that responsibility shifts to you. But there are real barricades and real things you can do to remove those barricades. And there's so much stress and anxiety and depression in the world right now. And you can look for biochemical roots. And I would tell anybody, I don't care what your diagnosis, I don't care how long it's been that way, I don't care if it's mental illness side or autoimmune side, that go find someone that understands metabolic function, go look for someone that understands epigenetics, get your biochemistry balanced out, and then see what's left over. Whatever's left over is what you really have left to deal with. Just like after a hurricane, you don't just like go to where your house was and now it's just a pile of destroyed materials and try to sit on your couch and go back to your life. Like you've got to get the debris out and you've got to make sure there's no hazards in the earth anymore and make sure that it's safe to build on again. And then you have to pour a new foundation and blah, 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 blah. There's so many things you have to do before it's time to live in that exact space where your home stood before it was wiped out. And you can't bypass it. And then when people talk about um, just sort of bullying your body along, like just dig in, just do it. You just need to just push through. Well, I think we all understand what they mean. You know, they're all trying to make sure that you don't get stuck with inactivity. But, you know, when I say it's an incomplete and dangerous mantra, it needs to be expanded. So I got here today to do this podcast because I went through a series of stops and starts and going around obstacles without hitting them and dealing with debris and other vehicles. And, you know, if, if I just metaphorically was like, I'm just going to push forward, I'm just going to go and I just hit that gas pedal and I wasn't willing to adjust to circumstances while keeping my forward momentum going... I'd have made it about a block before I hit somebody's house. There's just, it's dangerous. And I, I feel like I remember times where back in the beginning where I kept trying to apply that and it wouldn't work. And I had the personality for it. I had the dedication for it, the determination, the decisiveness, the drive. I, it wouldn't work any more than pushing your gas pedal with your car off works. So I, I think a big lesson I've learned from this, and, and I never really required that of people. I wasn't really like that type of person that was like, keep up or fall behind, you know, like, but I have heard it from so many people and it's just, it's incomplete. There, there needs to be an accurate plan of action, um, that you make with good information. And then there's a time and a place for like right now I am in total burnout. I'm doing it anyway. I'm doing it like 75% perfect, maybe 80% perfect, not being too hard on myself. I'm over it. It's like getting to a point where I'm about to muscle myself out the rest of the way. And I've just tried to look for what needed to be paid attention to more instead. Was grief trying to come out? Um, Was I just trying to rest? Like, I feel good, so I want to go, but my body's like, nah, we still need... Like, I just... There's a lot of a lot of places where I believe if you're not rescued from it, there's something that you need to learn from it. Now that doesn't apply to abuse, addiction, betrayal trauma. That is its own category of special need, and I would never want anyone to hear that and be suffering in one of those categories and try to apply it. That is not not your journey. You have other things that you definitely need access to to layer in and at a point it'll be your journey but I try to look for what do I need to learn like if I'm not being rescued from it it's not being lifted yet what can I learn from it while I'm investing in a solution to move forward um I don't get stuck a lot in blame or indecisiveness or paralysis And again, that is not a judgment on if that is how your brain handles trauma. Like we can condition our brains, but they're going to do what they're going to do. 
and I have, you know, some of my children are definite like freezers. They will pause, they will freeze, they need to analyze it, they need to feel safe. And if, if I tried to bully them forward to do it my way, that would not be compassionate. So those are kind of my two, two things throughout this that get my hackles up if they get aimed my way. And I'm like, yeah, no. And I'm the type that just comes right through the front door. I don't, <laughs> I don't play around if I have um, no problem with boundaries. One of the, one of the huge things that I have learned, um, and I need to be careful how I say this because it's a cumulative opinion. Some of it's mine. Some of it is witnessing what other people have gone through. But when people want your story, it is not for free. There is a cost to the person whose wound you want to go dig around in. And when your motivation is obligation, because it's your calling and you just got to check in, or it's morbid curiosity, or it's just straight up gossip, there is this sort of unspoken contract that the wounded cannot help but think is on the table. That if you want me to tell you what's going on with me, I am expecting you must want to sort of get in my story. You must want to understand it because why else would you be putting me through that? Like people's pain, it's not a zoo exhibit where you'd like stroll up for your five minutes and you want to know what their particular bars are made out of that they're trapped in. And then once you've gotten it, you just move along and leave them where you found them. I have seen too many people asked to go over their divorce or asked to go over their child loss or asked to go over their teenager struggle or, and it's a drive by and I very quickly, and I wasn't asked me, I wasn't asked by too many people to need to put up this boundary, but I got real quick to the point where if I didn't think you were going to get in it with me, I felt no obligation that I had to rip off that scab and let you take a peek. I was like, no, you can just move along right now and let me know if, and you know, they don't come back and it's fine. It's like, I have no problems putting up the boundaries that way. But then on the other hand, I have needed my friends. I have needed my family, um, like oxygen. I've needed the opportunity to serve. And my husband's so funny. He has driven me around where he's had to put me in the car to drop something off on somebody's porch because I've heard something they're going through because I needed to do something outside myself. My story was so suffocating. I needed to help someone else, but I didn't do that every day. And I didn't do it to the depletion of what my family needed first. In my case, every single time I have an increase in capacity, whatever that looks like, I spend it on my family from the beginning. And then whatever else is left um, goes out into the world. And we've kind of tried to raise our kids like that, that, you know, home's a place you can fall apart, but we still get your best behavior first. It doesn't do us any good if you are amazing out in the world and you come home and you're just trash panda to everybody else. That is not how we want them to see a family. You can still fall apart. It can still be your safe space, but you should give your family or whoever is your, your circle. I have had to choose my family as many, many people have. Um, I have some blood relatives that are fantastic. And then I have some who opted out of their roles. And I was fortunate to find other people to fill them. And I'm grateful for those people. When I, when I got to the point where I am at now with my health, just it's maybe what, six months, maybe, I took another giant step forward. And it was when we started working on my metabolic dysfunction. So I'm kind of at that point in my story where I have the ability now, if I'm careful with my energy, to do pretty much whatever I want. Um, the PTSD-like symptoms are long gone and have been gone forever. And so my mind is calm and any, I, I could have stayed bedridden for the rest of my life once that one symptom went away. It was so horrible. And I think about people that live their whole life in that battle area and it's incredible. It's incredible to me the pain that they sustain. I probably have another year to go before 
my body doesn't need to be babysat all of the time. And I'm over it right in this moment and it'll lift or it won't. I may have to muscle through the very end, but that's fine. It's just karma. And you know, we have done the work with the trauma it has put my children through and my husband through and my marriage through. And I think it's a different battle when your choices have gotten you someplace that you don't want to be and you've got to work your way out. Okay, that's one thing. But then when it isn't your choices, I think it's just a different helplessness. It's a different pain. I don't think one's bigger or better or worse or more deserved. I just think it's just different. And I don't have a victim bone in my body. And yet I've been completely helpless to whatever my, has been happening with my health outside of trying to make decisions to pull the emergency brake on this runaway train. And that doesn't feel like a lot of power. <laughs> it doesn't feel like a lot. Uh, but that's all there's been. And I've had to let it be enough. And now that's starting to grow. Now I can do more cup filling things. Um, it isn't so emotional for me to be digging out our hurricane damage. That was rough for a long, long time. And every time I had to try to go through a cycle of getting up and then going back to bed and getting going back to bed, like when it was starting to try to get flowing again um, and trying to get back to my life, I was just so sick those first two weeks of everything. I couldn't get past that point, but I did it anyway. Every single time I would get up and try again and it didn't work for a long time. And that was not the business model we all pimp. It's supposed to be, right? That it layers and it's lateral and it just goes from start to finish and worst to best. And no, this is like a roller coaster loop-de-loop and you're up and you're down while you're still somehow walking forward slowly. And submitting to that concept brought peace, but it was also very painful and frustrating to let go of the idea that I had the tools to be disciplined and it was still not gonna go any faster than it was gonna go. And some of those things would be the growth and the lessons and it, it's very easy for me to look at other personality types than my own and see how I will be more empathetic and more compassionate to how they get from A to B, which is any better than how I get from A to B, but I have had to live a different version and it still worked. It's not mine. I don't like it. I don't want to do it again. I'll never sign up on purpose. But I can sort of look around now and be like, okay, I, I can see why maybe you need it to go at this pace or this route. And, you know, those are the things that I can be grateful for. I think there's a, another dangerous, incomplete mantra of everything happens for a reason. That's complete lunacy. Everything does not happen for a reason, but you can make good things come from most circumstances. You can pull good things that you have chosen through most likely blood, sweat, and tears to learn or internalize or recognize or hold on to that are good. But there's nothing good about what this just did to my family. There's nothing good about the loss and there's nothing good about the trauma in that vein. But we will find things to celebrate anyway. We will find things that have expanded our understanding and we'll turn those things into good. And it maybe makes you grateful. I, I've heard some people be like, oh, I'm so grateful for trial XYZ. I would never want it any other way. I'm like, yeah, well, you can go sit back there. It'll sit by me because I would have bypassed this completely <laughs> if possible. It's just... This isn't going to be in that category for me, but I am looking constantly for what did I learn? What can I do? And one of my big, big, big pain points was why now? Why didn't whatever you want to call it, God, the universe, timing, karma, whatever. Why didn't I get sick maybe next year when all my kids were gone and who cares? Why did it happen when it happened? And I, I can 
understand where my extremely healthy lifestyle my whole life maybe prolonged it as long as it did until I was almost 40. Maybe it kept me from dying from it. I'm actually positive of that one. But why not just another six, seven years where it would not have ripped my younger children apart? They don't know me any other way. They don't see me any other way. That's hard. Um, They don't know that I can swim (laughs) because they've never seen me get in the pool and swim. I couldn't even sit in the sun, much less, you know, some of that stuff's crazy how six, seven, eight years of your life can just suffocate the other 40. It's like, where did it go? It's like it never happened, but they don't remember me any other way. And that, that's kind of tough. So with the way that it is right now and wherever we're going in the future, I, I am looking And it's only recently, it's only really this year that I am starting to see where maybe my education couldn't wait because what I have sort of learned about how to untangle your body is so universal and can help just about anybody. Um, And that doesn't mean there's one way to do it. If there was one way to do something, we would have figured it out by now a long time ago and we'd all be doing it. So there are multiple ways to get to the same right theme, the same outcome. So you've got to like find what it is for you, but I'm starting to sort of see where maybe my education couldn't wait. I'm already starting to see um, physical undertoes in some of my children. They're never going to go through what I went through unless they choose it. I have too much understanding now. And then you sort of look at this insane climate of stress and anxiety that is real and it's rooted in really real craziness that's happening that is wreaking havoc on people's bodies left and right and that is all going to come out to play somehow and maybe I just didn't have time to wait till right now to start learning and that's what I mean by like I can now try to make it make sense but that is completely different than like submitting to the idea that it was good it was not good I have got to do the work to make this experience be good it could just as much have been a divorce and bitterness and um, a prideful refusal to keep looking for what's correct and then just sitting and deteriorating that was a very real outcome if I had not made the choices I had made what I think is universal to anything that you need to escape or heal from. Um, Part of my journey in the very, very beginning was I really, really spent time trying to know if I should accept this as my new normal because that is real for a lot of people. You have a moment and that's it. Your eyesight does not come back. That limb doesn't work anymore. That cancer's, that's it. And I wanted, I have such a strong instinct to fight that I needed to really make sure that I was not ignoring peace through acceptance. And I never felt that. For me, for my journey, for whatever this was, it was not my new normal. And I may like get that feeling next week and it still may not be a full return to my life, but up until now, it is still like, nope, fight to escape, fight to escape, fight to escape. And so that's what I do. And the first thing I had to really learn was you have got to become the engine of your own train. And it is scary up there. Sometimes you have to be the cow catcher on the outside of the engine of your own train. There's so much comfort in being led by someone in a position of trust or education. Now, I don't know more than the people that I work with, but I have to be the engine in saying, you're the right person for me to defer to. You're the right person for me. I don't have time to gain medical school, but I do have to do the work to advocate for myself, and I do have to do the work to to put myself in safe hands. Um, Every counselor is not for everybody. Some of them are dangerous. Some of them are magic. And if your instinct, if your engine, your your intuition is like, this is not right, move on. Do not sit there and fight that voice. 
I, I already kind of came pre-wired, but it didn't spare the fear. It is a terrifying thing to have the stakes be so high and to be so vulnerable and to feel like you can't be wrong because you cannot outlive that wrong decision. I've never really been in that boat until now. And so getting out there, it's uncomfortable. It's completely necessary. If you do not defer to your own intuition first, you are going to end up someplace you don't want to be at some point or over and over again. And it's hard. Then the second thing is that you need to carefully assemble the best tools for your situation from good informed options. It, it, they kind of go hand in hand. You've got to be the front. Everybody wants to be the caboose and be way back there and just follow the tracks and someone else, you know, tell me where I'm going and it doesn't usually work. Um, and then you need to make a plan. You need to find your tools and those will probably evolve as you go along. But once you have an action plan, then you need to, to the best of your ability, try to get an understanding of an accurate timeline. Everybody wants, including me, the weekend. <laughs> I got time for today and then I want it to be over. Or I can do this for a couple weeks and then it's over. And it's a question we avoid asking because we do not wanna know. And there's a little ignorance and bliss, but when it comes to healing and when it comes to health, you really need an accurate idea. It's not fun for me to know I probably have another year of having to think about it all of the freaking time before maybe I can start to just maintenance again. Um, but that's how it is. It's worse when you are constantly blindsided as it just keeps going and going and going when it was always going to go for a bigger chunk of time. So it's not, you know, nobody can predict the future and whatever. And there's limitations to that advice, but... Don't avoid asking the question. Um, a therapist, for example, will tell you, well, I don't know, but typically four to six months, you know, like you're not going to come in here for three sessions and be done. And, and then again, defer always back to number one, to your intuition. If something doesn't feel right, you keep going till it does feel right. And you, your body and your spirit, it will try its hardest to tell you where safety is. And then the last thing is... Once you pick your destination, your point, your plan, um, just get up and go west, right? Like our, our church has a history of pioneer treks out here. And I think a lot about how they did not get up every single day and debate as they put their tent away. Well, what do you think we should do? Well, I don't know. Should we? Well, maybe we should turn around. Like, it's just not productive. At some point, you just have to go west. You just got to get up and you just got to go. And keep going and trust in the process and move along until you either get a new correction, of course, or you arrive one or the other. But there is a point once you've done the work and you've gathered the information and your intuition and you're in on the same page about what you feel good about. And again, there's no one way to do it. And so if you're trying to do it the way your friend did it, that's great for a hot second. It probably won't hold you up. It probably will not lead you. And there's some universal truths that are good for everybody, like brushing your teeth and eating your vegetables. Like, but you know what I'm saying? You, you, we all want to walk in someone else's footsteps. There's safety in that feeling, but it's most likely not going to be the best possible path for you and your circumstances. It, it may help shape it. There may be parts of it that you apply that are wonderful and healing and helpful, but it can't be the whole process. You are refreshing. <sighs> you are just refreshing to listen to. For what you've been through, you could be um, so negative and so caught up in the, the why me is what I call it. You know, mm -hmm. why me? Why did this happen to me? And um, that is something that I have just loved and admired about you all these years that I have known you is how you could be laying in your bed and, and bedridden for years and still bringing joy to everyone around you. You still will be the cheerleader, even though it's from your bed, it's from your phone, your little, your little messages and the things you do is always so uplifting to everyone around you. And I think that's what I admire most is your inspiration and what you bring for 
what you have been through and how you come out on the other side. And I know it's not over. I know you're not totally better yet, but the joy you bring to everyone around you is the inspiration that everybody needs. Everybody needs a friend like you that can can be so helpful. (laughs) And so I thank you so much for sharing so personal and what you've been through because I know it hasn't been easy at all, but inspiring. And so thank you. Thank you. You're still here? Well, then click on the next episode to get more lemonade. One more day,